Now for agribusiness news, markets, and weather from Studio C, this is Agriculture Today. The number of cattle on feed on February 1st was just under 11.8 million head, which was just about 40,000 head above uh, 2023. Shell Shagham is a USDA livestock analyst on the latest cattle on feed report. Uh, during January, approximately 1.8 million head of cattle were placed in feedlots, which was about 7% below a year ago. Uh, during January, the number of cattle marketed from feedlots was about 1.8 million head, about unchanged from a year ago. However, uh, we did have one extra slaughter day in January. So if you make the comparison on uh, on a per day basis, marketings were actually about 5% below a year ago. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. I think probably the most important bottom line for any of the producers who are listening to this is the one hopefully you already know, which is the uh, while the farm bill was scheduled to be reauthorized last year, it was not. Jonathan Coppice is a farm policy expert, University of Illinois. So the 2018 farm bill was continued for the 2024 crop year and program operation. So the upside of that is not a whole lot changed there. And actually nothing has changed for you for 24. Um, and we'll get through some of those aspects. If we go back over uh, the last five years, of the 2018 farm bill, um, as we've note- noted before, pretty unusual experience for farm policy uh, and for farmers, because in addition to crop insurance, Title I support uh, payments and conservation assistance, we saw uh, record levels of additional or ad hoc or supplemental assistance. CFAP is the coronavirus response packages and payments, as well as the market facilitation program in 2018 and 2019. So this kind of sets us up for a rather uh, unique or or unusual um, sort of experience under the last Farm Bill, which may challenge uh, how we view things going forward. If we look back over uh, the baseline that the Congressional Budget Office produced uh, back in May of last year, and note um, they update they provided an update uh, last week, and I'll have a farm doc article out today that'll look into some of those uh, items on the update. But I'm still using uh, the last one uh, in part because we have not gotten any uh, definitive word that um, that they would change and use the February 24 numbers yet. But looking at the spending. Um, over the baseline, the 10 years, and anybody's been through these conversations before knows that this is a key factor in farm bill uh, reauthorization debates because congressional budget rules require that the congressional budget office take a 10-year look ahead on what they think uh, spending will be under the major mandatory program areas. So this is a snapshot of that. Uh, still, the bulk of the of the farm spending going out through uh, crop insurance, then we have the Title I commodities, conservation and the Inflation Reduction Act, which added, uh, at least in CBO's estimation, another 15 to 16 billion uh, in spending for conservation assistance to farmers. As we said, it's continued for 24, so this decision is uh, is familiar. Hopefully, to everybody, you're going to enroll your base acres in either the Agriculture Risk Coverage or ARC program or the Price Loss Coverage program (PLC). That decision should be done by March 15th uh, for the 2024 crop year. And if there are any payments triggered out of that, we'll, you would see those around October, early October of 2025. Uh, for the congressional watchers uh, on this webinar, uh, March 15th may strike you as notable because the current continuing resolution for funding runs out uh, March 1st and March 8th. So I do not know if Congress does not get a, a funding resolution taken care of by that time 
I don't know how this date's going to play out if we have a, an unfortunate shutdown situation. So stay tuned for that or get into the FSA office as soon as possible and make this decision uh, and not wait for uh, whatever problems may arrive early March. Again, as, as everybody should be familiar by now, ARC has two versions or two options within it, the county level average yield option, which is a crop by crop decision, or the ARC individual uh, whole farm yield option, which is all your base acres for all the program crops on the farm have to be enrolled. The price loss coverage program is also a crop by crop decision. So you can you know, mix and match PLC with ARC County uh, on your farm with different base acres. You know, you can put your, PL, your wheat base in PLC and your soybean base in ARC County, for example. And the other issue with PLC is that you have the option to purchase the supplemental coverage insurance uh, top off the area wide top up uh, that you would have above your your underlying insurance. Um, that's only available if you enroll in PLC. It's agriculture today. This is agriculture today. We know that we need to provide some help. So how do we go about it to make this constructive, positive and lead to a good outcome? Oklahoma State Beef Breeding Specialist, Dr. Mark Johnson. In a perfect world, we'd have a sheltered, well-lit barn. We'd have a head catch, a halter, some sort of restraint for the cow. We're going to have two buckets of warm water. We're going to have one with some disinfectant in it that we're actually going to be carrying our OB chains and our handle in. Then we're going to have another one here that we're going to use along with some soap to actually clean up that cow and heifer, as well as our hands and arms before we start the examination process. We're gonna need to have some OB lube, some OB sleeves, something that facilitates this process as much as possible. And we may be short of any of those things when the, the moment comes to bear that we need to start the examination of the process. But in a perfect world, we'd like to have all those things and cleanliness is extremely important. There are times we may provide assistance and save the calf if we introduce too much bacteria into that reproductive tract. We suffer the long-term consequence of slowing down rebreeding or potentially delayed or, or a cow never getting bred back at all. So we'd like to have that set of equipment on hand and have it at our disposal. At the point we start the examination, if we've got that sleeve and we've got some lube, we're going to go through and do a pelvic examination. First thing we want to look for is to confirm that this heifer or cow has got a fully dilated cervix. And as we reach in to try to feel the front feet and the head of that calf, if we pass through and really don't encounter anything, it's a good sign that we've got full dilation there and that the cow is actually ready for that calf delivery. If we encounter a little more there along the way, it can be a sign that, that maybe more time needs to be given. And if we can feel front feet, if we can feel the head of that calf just behind those front feet, and, and the head of that calf is basically up against the, the, the vertebrae or the spine of that cow, we know we're dealing with a normal presentation. That is a good sign that we can move forward in this process and attempt to help or potentially pull that calf. If we've got an abnormal presentation, if those aren't the things we're feeling, a front leg back, a head back, potentially we're feeling rear legs or a tail. If we've got something abnormal, it increases the likelihood we're going to have to get some professional assistance. And another thing that we want to have on hand or in our phone that's in our pocket is the phone number of our veterinarian that we've got a good working relationship with because abnormal presentations or if we encounter a fetus, that just we're certain it is too big to actually get delivered, 
uh, we're going to likely need to contact our veterinarian and get some assistance in that case. So, let's say we got a normal presentation. We've determined we got a fully dilated heifer or cow, and we've got enough space in here to actually get this calf out. We proceed to hooking up OB chains. We're going to try to pull with this with our handles initially. If we have to resort to a calf jack, we want to be careful. We want to be gentle all the way through this process. Again, uh, getting carried away with a calf puller can lead to some injury for the cow and the calf. We refer to some excellent sources of material that can go into more detail as far as ways to go about getting that calf out. So I hope this helps. Things to think about relative to the equipment we want on hand and those actually steps in the process as we start that examination and potentially move forward with helping or assisting pull or deliver that calf and getting it out alive. It's Agriculture Today. You're listening to Agriculture Today. When you get a bearish, pretty significantly bearish number, the market doesn't act that way. There's something else going on. You need to pay attention because, uh, you know, in this case, it seems like the bulls are in charge. Bob Maurer, Manduka Trading, Chicago. Market had a chance to absorb that information. Market had a chance to push it down to the to the downside. And granted, it did open up lower. So if you look at the April live cattle futures today, it pretty much opened up on its low and then steadily climbed throughout the day. So there was an initial bearish move. It just had no no follow through. And that points to me or you know gives me a sign, shall we say, over the near term that the bulls are in charge. Why might they be in charge? Well, the cattle on feed supplies throughout this year, based on some data that's come out, given a bigger picture, uh, is that the on-feed supplies are expected to tighten as uh, we move our way through the calendar in 2024. So it's hard to really want to be bearish if you think there's going to be less supply down the road. And we also know that starting in, oh, let's say, three months from now, like especially after school gets out, four months from now, something like that, if these crazy weather things don't continue to happen, which might accelerate this, but what I'm talking about is demand. So the better part of beef demand is still ahead of us. Meat demand in general and beef demand in specific is still ahead of us by a few months. So you kind of combine those two and it kind of creates a story where maybe the bulls are, in, you know, should be in charge. This is future trading and anything can happen on any particular day, but it definitely seems like the story has changed. We had that big rally. You know, up until a few months ago, then we had a pretty decent break, kind of corrected all that. And now we're working our way back up as we resume the bullish story at the moment. And we'll see how that all plays out. To add to that, though, is the the cash side of the equation. So last week, cash traded about 183 in the south. That was up three bucks on the week. Northern area traded mostly around 292. That was a four dollar increase week on week. So that's good. Choice box beef finished uh, about four and a half dollars higher on the week. Selects were about a push. The um, numbers look pretty good there. Slaughter was off a little bit. Okay, so again, that would have been a bearish element, generally speaking. But the fact that the market again not only took that lower slaughter number and what I would deem that one element of the bearish side of the equation for the cattle on feed, it also pushed higher. So it looks like the market's willing to at least see that as a one-off at the moment for the slaughter. Um, but then you can also drill into some of the other cash items like the primals, the ribs, the rounds, the chucks, they all ended up higher. Trimmings were ended up higher week on week in terms of price. And then the uh, choice beef cutout, like I mentioned, higher. Oklahoma steer prices higher also. And then you add to the fact that 
you know, on the feeder cattle side, it's been a pretty good move to the upside. Now, feeder cattle were off today, down a little bit, May contract down 22, but generally speaking, it's been a pretty nice rally to the upside, and that's really based on the, uh, the latest data that came out from the USDA some time ago, um, showing that in January, there's about 13.28 million calves out there, lowest number since 1941, so that's basically saying that more calves are going to be needed, less calves are available right now, so that's adding a little bit to the bull side on the feeder cattle side of the equation, which obviously is going to work its way into the live cattle. So, that's generally the big bigger picture, uh, for in my opinion, uh, that, the, that we can kind of glean from what's was given to us by the USDA from that Catalan feed report and was, like I said, like I typically say, you know, watch for the week, see when cash starts trading, might be Wednesday, Thursday this week, see if that steady the higher cash call for the week uh, pans out and we'll, uh, we'll play it from there. It's Agriculture Today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. Agris coverage of the ARC program, I guess, is the set of options that producers have uh, beyond PLC. Again, these are the same decisions this year that we've made now, uh, going back to, to 2019, uh, when the 2018 Farm Bill got uh, implemented. It's the same options. Nick Paulson is a University of Illinois ag economist. ARC is the is the revenue program option. So it's a revenue-based program, originally introduced in the 2014 Farm Bill, some tweaks to it made in 2018. And there are multiple options within this uh, ARC program. There's a, a county level version that's based on county level yields. And then there's a farm level version that's based on farm level yields and also introduces some additional complications in, in terms of combining crops and, and things of that nature. The revenue guarantee for, for ARC is 86% of a, of a benchmark revenue measure. Um, and that benchmark revenue comes from uh, taking a benchmark price, multiplying that by a benchmark yield at, at the county or the farm level, depending on the version of the program you're looking at. Um, and again, as Jonathan said, those are based on Olympic averages over the course of five marketing years for prices, uh, national marketing year average prices. And then on the yield side, it's, a, again, a five-year Olympic average of that same five-year period for uh, county crop yields for our county uh, farm crop yields for uh, ARC individual or ARC IC. Uh, mentioned the tweaks that were made to ARC in 2018. We added trend adjustment to those uh, yields that are used in that Olympic average to get the benchmark yield. And there is now also a, a lag in that five-year period. So, for example, uh, for the 2024 year, the relevant marketing and crop years for prices and yields are 2018 to 2022. Uh, the, the lag is, is 2023, and that is so uh, we know uh, what the what that what all five of those prices are that go into that benchmark price calculation because we're still in that uh, 2023 marketing year. So. It, that's the main reason for that uh, that one-year lag adjustment there. So we've written uh, kind of a number of articles that have, have rolled out the last uh, three or four Tuesdays on Farm Doc Daily. I wanted to highlight a few things there. Um, we'll also mention this at the end of the uh, webinar this morning, but we are planning on doing a, a two-part risk management webinar series here starting on Monday of next week. Um, and so we will get uh, a little bit more into detail on the ARC PLC decision as well as crop insurance and some other risk management things to think about. Uh, but did want to highlight this at least today. And so what we're looking at on the on the screen here is from an article a few weeks ago, and it compares that effective reference price that Jonathan mentioned, which has moved up uh, above the statutory minimums for corn and soybeans. Uh, they're they're up, up there in the third and fourth rows of the table in that in that green section. You can see the 401 for corn, the 926 for soybeans. Again, that's the 
price level at which those PLC payments would get triggered, that those high prices we've experienced during that five-year period that has led to those increases in the effective reference price have also increased the benchmark price that goes into those ARC guarantees as well. And so that ARC benchmark for corn is $4.85, and the ARC benchmark for soybeans is $11.12. And then in the second-to-last column there, we've got what we define as the ARC trigger price. That's the price where ARC would start to trigger support if your yields were at their benchmark levels. So again, ARC, ARC is more complicated than this. It's it's hard to talk about the price protection side of it and the yield protection side of it completely in isolation because they work together. But again, if we had yields come in right at benchmark levels in 2024, ARC would trigger uh, payments on corn base at anything 417 or below and anything 956 or below for soybeans. Both of those are higher than that effective reference price. So it's, again, a price-focused way to think about comparing um, ARC and, and PLC for the 2024 year. It's Agriculture Today. This is Agriculture Today. Just wondering if you've scheduled an annual review of the issues in your dairy herd with health items with your local veterinarian. Kansas State Dairy Specialist Dr. Mike Brook on the importance of annual herd checks. It's really important to stay on top of what's going on in your herd as it comes to health matters and scheduling an annual review with your veterinarian is a very important part of your farm practices. Some of the things I would suggest that you visit with your veterinarian about would be things like herd health events. When we think about the lactating cows, take a look back in your records and summarize things maybe by month over the last year for the different events like metritis or DAs or other various health events that you might be seeing in your herd. Share this data with your veterinarian. See if there are any suggestions that he or she might add to your herd health protocols to help minimize these issues. It's important as you look at these issues to concentrate on things that might be going on with the transition cows as they come into milk, making sure that animals are transitioning into the lactating herd in a proper manner. It's really important to evaluate what goes on during the summer and also what is going on when you have slugs of calves coming through the transition phase. Oftentimes, these slugs will clog the transition space and cause overcrowding in this area. This will increase the situation where we may see increases in things like DAs or metritises or off-feed problems, animals just not starting out on their lactation very well. So visiting with your veterinarian about health protocols that you might implement during these times to help minimize the effects of overcrowding are very important. Another thing that you should visit with your veterinarian about is the vaccinations that you use, both on lactating cows as well as calves and heifers if you have those on your farm. It's important to review these on an annual basis to make sure that they're still covering the issues that you might be seeing with your calves and heifers as well as your cows. And sometimes there are changes in the protocols for these different vaccines. Your veterinarian would be very helpful in making sure that you're using them appropriately and that they're being given at the appropriate times for each of the groups of animals. Another thing that should be high on your list as you sit down with your veterinarian for an annual checkup would be 
any prescriptions that you utilize within your dairy herd. This would include calves and heifers as well as lactating cows. Keeping in mind that prescriptions do need to be renewed on an annual basis with your herd veterinarian. So it's a good time to not only renew prescriptions, but also to identify with your veterinarian if these treatment protocols utilizing various prescriptions have actually been effective in your herd. So are animals actually recovering after you give treatments? If not, we may need to consider a different treatment protocol, and your veterinarian would be helpful in developing that protocol for your farm. Kansas State Dairy Specialist, Dr. Mike Brook. What state in the union is the fastest growing when it comes to dairy? Texas, which had 315 dairies in 2022, down to 300 at the beginning of this year. But with the milk production, makes Texas now the third highest milk producing state in the nation. It's agriculture today. You're listening to Agriculture Today. Well, cotton is kind of a special contract at the moment. Bob Maurer, Manduka Trading in Chicago, following a recent rally in the cotton market to nearly a dollar. It's had its decent moves. Uh, you know, basically May through July of last year was stuck between about 83 cents and 78 cents. We'll call it a nickel range. Created a about a seven or eight cent range thereafter between 83 and about 90, okay, and then broke back down to that, you know, 83 to 78 and a half cent range. And then recently, meaning in the last few weeks, you know, broke through both of those levels, shall we say, and pushed into new highs just four trading days ago. And I'm talking about the May contract at old crops. So the demand is definitely there. Uh, cumulative sales so far for 23-24, it's reached 90% of the USDA's forecast. Average, five-year average at this point is about 89%. So the nice export sales that we've seen have basically caught us up to average. Okay, so we'll have to see how that plays out, see if this market starts to stall, if demand starts to stall now that we're just back to average. Okay, we're back to good. Let's put it that way. And we'll, we'll see what happens and how that plays out. So we'll see if exports slow down at all. Uh, supply side, still a little bit uh, tighter uh, after the poor crop last season. So I can see why the old crop is doing what it's doing, especially in the face of some pretty good demand. Um, the spec funds are coming in. And they're buying, so that helps out the managed money traders. As of the last report from the due to uh, from commitment to traders from the CFTC, uh, they were net buyers of fourteen and a half thousand contracts or so. That was through Feb twenty, so they're not long sitting around eighty six thousand. Um, is it a super high amount in terms of leaning strongly one way? Not yet, but it's getting there. So we'll see how that plays out. And what was interesting, what you said about maybe the new crop not necessarily showing the similar types of gains. And that's probably due to the fact that I heard that you guys have gotten some weather events that would probably recharge the soil. So it's a matter of how things are going to look when they go to put that seed in the ground. And there's still some time before we get there. So we'll see how that all plays out. And as for the row crops, it's mass. It's mass. Um, here in Illinois, if we're talking about corn and soybeans in specific if you look at some private analysis of profitability, and if you were to break Illinois into four sections, like the far southern, the far northern, 
and then the higher central part and the lower central part. When they do the math, they meaning FarmDoc and U of I um, publishes this, uh, they basically show that corn minus soybean returns are not favoring corn at all in any area. I mean, maybe if you get up to the, if you go down to the southern part of Illinois, there'll only be about a $53 differential, um, meaning better gains for soybeans than corn versus the central lower area, which would be minus 116. But in all cases, it goes all the way from minus 53, minus 53 to minus 116, which favors soybeans at the moment. And, you know, these prices just can't seem to shrug off the lower move quite yet. Uh, first notice day coming up soon for the March contracts. So this could be some recent long liquidation. Market tends to want to try to rally after that. So maybe this math changes. So it's going to be something we have to watch pretty closely. But for the moment, it definitely seems like the bears are in charge. So we'll just keep an eye on things. And hopefully, you know, for those who want to be long or need higher prices, something starts to change a little bit sooner than later. It's agriculture today. Ag News Now. Agriculture Today. Food at home, otherwise known as grocery store food prices, will likely go up this year, but by far less than in recent years. Agriculture Department economist Megan Schweitzer is forecasting food prices to rise by 1.6% in 2024. That's quite a bit lower than the 5% increase we saw in 2023. And hugely lower than 2022 when shoppers saw grocery store prices increase almost 11.5%. So 1.6% would be lower even than the average yearly run-up in food prices, which tends to run about 2.7%. And Megan told us also. If we were to see 1.6% growth, that would be the lowest we've seen since 2019 when food at home prices rose by 0.9%. And Megan says some food categories actually will cost less than they did last year, including pork products, fish and seafood, cereal and bakery products, and eggs. Gary Crawford, Washington. 